señoras y señores, muy buenas noches. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Les presento a Patty Lupona. Patty. Patti Lepone there singing Latin from Manhattan by Harry Warren and Al Dubin and I've Got Rhythm by Cole Porter, recorded as part of her legendary 1981 nightclub act, Patti Lepone at Les Mouches. A very warm welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Fine Music Radio 101.3 FM and to the final episode of Great Interpreters Goes Broadway. My name is Adrian Fuchs, your host for the series in which we celebrate the legendary ladies of the musical theatre stage. Our journey along the Great White Way ends tonight with a program on Broadway legend and one of my favourite performers, Patti Lupone. A trained actor with a Juilliard pedigree, Lupone was catapulted to overnight stardom when she thrust her arms skyward in the original 1979 Broadway production of Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice's Evita. By her own account, her experience of Evita was not enjoyable, and she had tremendous difficulty in mastering the vocal demands of the role. Who wouldn't? Even so, she managed to rip through the score like a hurricane unleashed, winning a Drama Desk Award and her first Tony, and to this day, her portrayal of Eva Peron is generally considered to be definitive. Following Evita, Lepone originated the role of Fantine in Les Miserables and in the process became the first American to win a Laurence Olivier Award. She wowed audiences with her brassy pipes, tap-dancing sass and deft comic skills in the role of Reno Sweeney in Cole Porter's Anything Goes 
and then originated the role of Norma Desmond in the original West End production of Sunset Boulevard. That experience, however, would lead to one of the greatest disappointments in Lapone's career, when Andrew Lloyd Webber decided to cast Glenn Close, not Lapone, as Norma Desmond on Broadway, despite a signed contract that promised the role to Lapone. She then shed any preconceptions about the role of Mrs. Lovett in Stephen Sondheim's Sweeney Todd with a refreshing interpretation in John Doyle's 2005 Broadway production and in 2008 won her second Tony for her indelible performance as Mama Rose in the Jules Stein Stephen Sondheim Arthur Lawrence musical Gypsy. It's no wonder then that Lapone is considered one of the last great Broadway stars, a musical theatre legend. She's even been turned into a verb. Look up luponed, a contraction of lupone and owned in the Urban Dictionary, and you will find that it is used when referring to an outstanding theatrical performance, often musical in nature, to do something incredible on stage, to create or redefine a well-known theatrical role in a particularly memorable, sometimes controversial manner, or to deliver a performance that makes an audience revel in open-mouthed awe at your unfreaking paralleled brilliance. There is perhaps no more a fitting word than glorious to describe Lapone's trademark full-throttle singing style with its joyful blare and leering swoops. Part of the thrill of listening to her or seeing her perform is the obvious joy she takes in her own voice and what she manages to accomplish with her incredible God-given talent. She takes risks, she pushes her chest voice higher than most singers dare to go, and she's known for her incredible vocal stamina, for having what many have referred to as vocal cords of steel. Lupone has a miracle of a voice, noted People magazine. It can be as big and bold as a brass band, or as plaintive as a solitary woodwind. But, no matter whether she is belting out high E's, F's and G's in Evita, or has the audience in the palm of her hand crooning a torch song in an intimate cabaret venue, Lapone's style is, as Adam Feldman noted, stamped with an implicit credo. All guts, all glory. One of Broadway's bona fide legends, noted Randy Shulman, Patti Lapone can turn in a dramatic performance that will leave your jaw agape, your emotions in turmoil, and your devotion to her in full throttle. For me, my memories of Lapone date back to an audio cassette of the original Broadway cast recording of Evita, given to me as a Christmas present by my parents. That recording, in no small part, was formative and influenced my own musical upbringing. Lapone's voice and what she did with it lodged itself deep in my musical consciousness. In recent years, I've had the pleasure and the privilege to hear Lapone several times in concert, and even on two occasions, to meet the great star. Needless to say, experiencing Lapone performing live is one of the most thrilling experiences I've ever had, and I hope that for those of you listening, this program will, in some small way, not only give you a glimpse into the artistry of Patti Lapone, but also impart some of the thrilling excitement that her singing generates. As was the case with the other Broadway legends featured in the series, tonight's program is not meant to be a comprehensive, exhaustive overview of Lapone's career, since capturing a career of such magnitude in the space of two hours would have been an impossible task. 
I am therefore hardly touching on her many film and television appearances, her work in plays, and even her forays into opera. What you will hear, however, are highlights and extraordinary moments from Lepone's long and distinguished career, and hopefully, through the interview clips included in tonight's program, some insight into her extraordinary artistry. Before we continue, a reminder that you can listen again to tonight's show from my website on and off the record www.onandofftherecord.com That web address again, www.onandofftherecord.com You can also subscribe to or download a podcast of tonight's show from iTunes. Since I am unfortunately not in the studio to take your calls, you can contact me via email if you have any questions or comments regarding tonight's show. My email address is adrian at onandofftherecord.com you can also send me a message via the Facebook On and Off the Record group page. But now, on with tonight's show. In 2008, after seeing Lepone and Gypsy, Alec Baldwin wrote a letter to the Huffington Post proclaiming that what the world needs now is Patti Lepone. As I left the theatre after Gypsy, Baldwin recalled, a young man turned to me and said, I liked that a lot and I normally don't go to musicals. Another woman near us smiled and said, That was no ordinary musical. That was Patty. I told the young man, noted Baldwin, to consider himself lucky. You're not likely to see that again on Broadway for a very long time. I had a dream A dream about you, baby it's gonna come true, baby They think that we're through But baby You'll be swell You'll be great Gonna have the whole world on a plate Starting here, starting now Honey Stop us till 
Patti LuPone's electrifying rendition of Everything's Coming Up Roses from Gypsy, with music by Jules Stein and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, taken from the 2008 Broadway cast recording of the show. Patti Anne LuPone was born on April 21, 1949, in Northport, Long Island, New York, the daughter of Angela, a college library administrator, and Orlando LuPone, a school administrator. She was named after her great-grand-aunt, the celebrated 19th-century opera singer Adelina Patti. The youngest of three children, Lepone grew up in a musical family and realized at an early age that she was born for the stage. Here she is in an interview with Alec Baldwin, recorded for WNYC New York Public Radio in 2013. I knew when I was a kid that I had a Broadway voice. I wanted to be a rocker because I grew up in that era of transistor radios at the beach. You know, the what Rascals. Music? The Rascals. The Rascals. We started in the 50s, Little Anthony and the Imperials. I mean, all through the 50s and 60s and 70s. I knew I didn't have a rock voice, though. I knew I had Why? a Broadway voice. I, I, these, this is all instinctual behavior, hmm. completely instinctual behavior. And my mom listened to opera. And my dad listened to jazz. What did he do? He was a principal of an elementary school. On Long Island. On Long Island in Northport. And my mom was a housewife, um, a homemaker. How many kids in your family? <laughs> Twin brothers and me. Right. You know, typical in a ranch house on Long Island, right. right? Typical. I know the drill. Yeah, exactly. And I was enrolled in dance at four years old. And I fell in love with the stage. But that wasn't really the first inkling of some sort of connection to the stage. My mother used to troop me out in front of guests to do my Marilyn Monroe imitation. And I don't even know how I came up with this, but I would come out, they'd laugh, and I'd go, oh, this is cool. Like, you know, yeah. I, was, I was pretty astute when I was very, very young. Yeah. Pretty, so I started dancing and I fell in love with the audience. And so the performance aspect started very, very young in dance. Growing up, Lepone had a rebellious nature and always knew she was a little bit left of center. I was a rebel, she noted. That's who I am. I'm an Italian, and I have this sense of adventure and risk. In high school, Lepone played tuba in the marching band and cello in the orchestra, but it was singing that she was really interested in. She sang in both the magical group and concert choir, and after high school, applied for admittance to the opera program at the Juilliard School, but was not accepted. Her brother, Robert, who was at Juilliard studying dance, convinced her, however, to audition for the newly formed drama program at Juilliard, under the direction of famed actor and director John Houseman. When Juilliard happened... I only How did it happen? Well, my, my brother attended the dance division of the Juilliard School and told me that they were starting a drama division. I actually had moved into New York City and was auditioning for musicals and working, and I just wanted to be in musicals and hang out in New York City and party. And um, I auditioned and I got in. And what happened in the four years, the course of the four years of the Juilliard School, I fell out of love with musical and in love with classical theater. And I was actually trained as a classical actress. Mm -hmm. So we did no With a musicals. lot of other great classical actors. Yes. Like yeah. Kevin Klein, David Stiers, David Schramm, Mary Lou Rosado. But that girl from Northport who's doing Marilyn Monroe impersonations in the ranch house with your family, what's that like for you, that transition to be in that very heady, sophisticated well, environment? Well, it, it was tough for me because I was not a favorite at school. My best friend who I met in the first year, Nancy Nichols, 
was uh, a favorite, and I was not. But Nancy and I would always pal around together and make trouble. But Nancy would get the roles, and I would not. And that went on for several years. I think it was only my third year when I realized that they were trying to throw me out of school. And what they did, they couldn't throw me out because they didn't like my personality. But what they did was they threw every conceivable role in my direction to make me fail as an actor. But what happened was they— Why do you think they did that? They didn't like me. Did they feel you didn't belong? Yeah, they didn't like me. They or that, you know, I didn't get cut every year. <laughs> students got cut, so we started right. with thirty-six. It was a weeding program where they wanted totally. to thin out the herd over the years. We ended up with the uh, seventeen of the original thirty-six in the fourth year. I never got cut, so the, I'm I'm confused as to why that actually happened. Because why didn't they just cut me? Possibly because every role I played, I succeeded in. But what they did was they trained one actor in my class in versatility. And the rest of them were pigeonholed as, you know, life will pigeonhole you. The ingenue. Exactly. The soubrette, the leading lady, the character woman. But I went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, which taught me that I could. Mm -hmm. There were no boundaries. No. And and if you look at my history, I've done more plays than I've done musicals. But because I guess the voice is a powerful instrument. Do you know what I mean? And and it's an American cultural event, the American, the the musical, not the Broadway musical. Well, also the music that you've performed Mm -hmm. when someone is as successful as you, and I've said this to people who have careers in music. Beyond the theater, as uh, as leading actresses in the theater, uh, music distinguishes things because it's a product you can consume anywhere. You know, your career goes to another level when I can drive in my car and listen to the soundtrack right. from Anything Goes. Yeah, I never thought about that. I can yeah. be on the beach and I can listen to the soundtrack from Sweeney Todd. Music performers will always have the upper hand on actors. And, but you were saying how you... Um, the versatility thing, you, you were almost forced to embrace this versatility to survive. And you graduate from that program. The first class graduates what year? 1972. And where do you go? John Hausman. So in our third year, he presented a season to um, the prominent people in New York theater and critics. And Mel Gussow was the one that said – Mel Gussow was a second-string critic for the New York Times. And he was the one that said, why break this company up? Why not form a permanent acting company, which was John's cue? And when we graduated, he handed us our equity card and four years – but we stayed for four years of touring the country, performing classical plays in true revolving rep, which is a different play every single night. Lupone there in an interview again with Alec Baldwin, recorded for WNYC New York Public Radio in 2013. Lupone's years at Juilliard and as a member of the acting company were grueling and formative. During her four years as a member of the acting company, from 1972 to 1976, she appeared in productions such as The Cradle Will Rock, The School for Scandal, Woman Beware Woman, The Beggar's Opera, The Time of Your Life, The Lower Depths, The Hostage, Next Time I'll Sing to You, Measure for Measure, Edward II, Love's Labor's Lost, Arms and the Man, and The Way of the World. Her Broadway debut came in 1973 as Irina in Chekhov's The Three Sisters, in which she appeared opposite longtime boyfriend Kevin Klein. Benjamin Ifri in The Guardian wrote in 1998 that he vividly recalls admiring Lepone's portrayal of Irina. The diminutive Lepone's urge to travel to Moscow was conveyed with powerful force, noted Ivry. 
1975, Lupone received her first Tony Award nomination as Best Featured Actress in a Musical for her work in The Robber Bridegroom. The following year, she appeared in an off-Broadway production of The Baker's Wife, a musical with music and lyrics by Stephen Schwartz, based on the 1938 French film La Femme de Boulangère. The experience was not a happy one. There were disagreements between the producer David Merrick and composer Stephen Schwartz, and the show turned out to be a huge flop, closing before it reached Broadway. But if there was one positive outcome from The Baker's Wife, it was that the show provided Lupone with one of her signature songs, Meadowlark, sung in the musical by the character Genevieve, who is trying to decide whether she should stay with her husband or run off with a younger man. In Meadowlark, she likens her situation to a fairy tale about a meadowlark who lived with a king who adored her. One day, the sun god approached the meadowlark, urging her to come with him, but the meadowlark refused and died. At the end of the song, Genevieve decides to leave with the younger man. I'd like to play to you now an extraordinary live performance of Meadowlark, recorded at a concert in 1993. Through her powerful vocal performance, Lepone manages to outline each character in the song sharply and powerfully. As one commentator noted, Lupone's characterization of and contrast between the desperate king and the proud sun god is exquisite, while the emotional and moral ambivalence of Genevieve as she tries to justify her choice to go with the younger man could not have been better expressed. Make a feast of the plums and beaches Just as far as your vision reaches 
creatures are flying with me. But the middle lark said no, for the old king loved her so she couldn't bear to wound his pride. So the sun god blew away, and when the king came down that day, he found his middle lark had died. Every time I heard that part, I cried. And now I stand here, starry-eyed and stormy. Oh, just when I thought my heart was finally numb, a beautiful young man appears before me, singing, come, oh, won't you come? And what can I do if finally for the first time the one I'm burning for returns the glow? Lupone's major breakthrough came in 1979 when she was cast in the career-defining role of Eva Peron in the original Broadway production of Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice's rock opera Evita. Here is Lupone in an interview with Alec Baldwin recorded in 2013 for WNYC New York Public Radio. You've been through everything you've been through. You've had some good times and some tough times, and you've worked hard. God knows, four years in the row with Hausman and that company. And you step out for the Broadway opening, the opening of Evita. What was it like for you? How did that evening I go? I had the flu. Perfect. Of course you did. Yeah, and I threw up in the sink before I sang Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. I'm sure it was a combination of I – got, I, I got extremely bad notices opening in L.A., and extremely bad notices opening in San Francisco. And Hal came to me and said, we're going to laugh about this in 20 years, Patty. They pulled the entire company together. And he said there was an article coming out in Susie Knickerbocker's column the next day that I was going to be fired and that Actors' Equity was waiting to clear Elaine Page to take my place. And this was in the newspaper. She's a Brit. Yeah, she's the one that originated in London. I'm dealing with all of this press of me being fired and me not being able to sing the part and still going on for my throwing up in the sink. Well, that was uh, that was opening night. And so, so you go out and do the opening, and what happens? Bad reviews again. 
actually they weren't bad. They were, they dismissed how and this is a this was an innovative this was an innovative concept an innovative production. They dismissed how and they barely touched on Mandy and me and that's worse when you're ignored. Right. It's one thing if they're passionate and you're bad right. and passionate when you're good, but when you're ignored. And Mandy and I at one point. I said, you want to go out for a drink? He said, yeah, and we, we, we were on 52nd, I think that's where the the Broadway Theater is. And we walked down 8th Avenue, and simultaneously we burst into tears. I mean, we worked hard in those parts, and then to be ignored is tough. And then, of course, nine months later, they give us the Tonys. When you win the Tony, did, was it any vindication for you at all, or was it just an empty? Oh, empty? of course. It was. So oh, you felt God. good. When you won, oh, how did you feel? Oh, yeah, such a relief. It was such a relief <laughs> because, really, if you did read Did it wipe my... everything away? Kind no, of? because I was still performing and still scared out of my mind every night. Competition for the role of Evita had been fierce. Initially, more than 200 hopefuls had auditioned for the role, with stars such as Raquel Welsh, Faye Dunaway and Meryl Streep reportedly also in the running for the coveted part. Surprisingly, Lepone was less than thrilled when she got the part and entered the project reluctantly. I didn't like the music, she later stated. It was where the score was pitched. I thought, what are you trying to do? Kill us all? It's a terribly difficult part in those keys, she noted. Evita opened in the spring of 1979 in Los Angeles and then in San Francisco, prior to its Broadway run. By her own admission, Lepone didn't have the training or the technique to sing the role, or rather, she didn't have the technique to sing it in the way that she felt it should be sung, without wearing out her vocal cords. Five days before opening the show in Los Angeles, for example, she lost her voice, and the Los Angeles Times called her opening night performance shaky. Soon, Gossip column reports fueled rumors that Lupone would be replaced by Elaine Page, who had previously originated the role in London. Hal Prince, the legendary director who was responsible for directing the original production of Evita, rushed to Lupone's defense. He gathered the cast together in Los Angeles and told them that not only was Lupone staying, but that her performance was a gem. She has that hypnotic quality of great performers, he later remarked. She has a great set of pipes, and she's a very exciting, audacious, energetic actress. Everything's close to the surface. Besides, noted Prince, the role calls for a white sound, a pure sound that cuts through screaming crowds, like Patty's. Evita opened on Broadway on the 25th of September, 1979. Lupone's hard work and determination had paid off. Though critical reception to the musical was largely negative, Walter Kerr, for example, commented in the New York Times that Lupone does sufficient justice to the score, almost everything is sung, but little justice is done her by the show. In the spring of 1980, Lupone won both a Tony and a Drama Desk Award for her searing portrayal. Still, she remembers Evita as the worst experience of her life. I was screaming my way through a part that could only have been written by a man who hates women, she confessed, and I had no support from the producers who wanted a star performance on stage but treated me as an unknown backstage. It was like Beirut, and I fought like a banshee. Here is Lepone in an interview with Graham Norton, recorded for BBC Radio 2 in June of 2013. 
And I don't know when you said this, but there's just a quote again on my bit of paper that uh, that, that production, it was the worst experience of my life, says yeah. you. Yeah. Was it really that yeah. bad? Oh, yeah. It was, you know, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> and, you know, you don't want to say that, but it's the truth. Um, I was given a role um, that I didn't want to play, quite frankly. I heard the music. I didn't like it. I thought Andrew Lloyd Webber hated women. This, it was it's pitched in, a, in an area of a woman's voice that's called the passaggio, which is her weakest place. Like a rubber band. When you stretch a rubber band, there's going to be a very weak place, and that's the passaggio in a voice. And it's, it sat there. In my passaggio, it sat on those notes. I also encountered the hype. There was fin- it was the first musical to, to either come over for England or you know start in America that had that much hype before it opened. Yeah. And so there was an expectation of the person, whoever it was, playing the part of Evita. And um, I couldn't sing it, and I couldn't take the hype. I, didn't, I was a kid. I was like, Mandy and I were scared out of our minds, just paralyzed with fear. And so, but every night I would go on stage going, am I going to hit that first D? And if I hit that first D wrong, which is screw the middle classes, it's the first, you know, 10 minutes of the show. And that was going to set off the voice for the rest of the night, which would set it off badly for the rest of the week. And I was determined to go on stage every night. Yeah. I didn't, I'm not that kind of a performer where I think, I got through the part on sheer willpower and fear, Lupo noted. Every night I went on stage panicked. If I hit the first D the wrong way, it would affect the rest of the night's performance, which would affect the rest of the week's performances. Evita is not written in comfortable keys for a soprano, she asserts. It's all passaggio, the weakest notes. It can't be sung lyrically. It has to be sung with balls under it. I hemorrhaged my vocal cords in the process. You mentioned Evita, the fame that came, the success that came with that show. Were you prepared for it? Is anyone ever prepared no, for it? No, um, what I wasn't prepared for was the difficulty of the role. And I don't, the fame was infamy. It was, no, um, I was, um, it wasn't a joyous experience. It was one of the most difficult life lessons that I had to learn um, because I couldn't handle the role. And I was put in a situation where I underst- truly understood the vulnerability of the singer. Because I could, p- I could be perfectly fine, but the vocal cords said, you're not going on stage tonight. You may not go on stage all week long. Uh, I was not singing the role correctly. I was getting no help from the producers, the director, the writers, because they didn't know what to tell me. Um, and then I was thrown to the lions because it was a tremendous success. And it had this juggernaut of, of, of hype behind it. And then I was the unknown cast. Yeah. And um, I got a lot of bad press. And had to figure out how to filter the bad press, go out on the stage, and not be afraid of the role, while I was trying to figure out how to play the role and sing it. So every night I went out, crossed myself, and prayed to God that I could get by the first D in the first 10 minutes. It's just a series of D's, E's, and F's. And, um, I, and I was not happy in the role. I had learned this, the art of patience. I could not vocalize. Um, 
without turning every faucet in my apartment on so that I didn't have to hear the first couple of notes. Because it would inevitably be this ragged, hoarse, horrible sound. I, I would kick my kickstart my voice. Um, I would have the answering machine on, the phones turned off, and the volume off, so I didn't hear who was calling me. So I didn't speak for like between 12 and 14 hours a day. I live like a monk just to get through a performance six times a week for nine months. David Vosburgh, somebody in the chorus, teach me how to sing a role every night. We worked on the show an hour and a half before I sang two hours of a show. I'd get the head, the tail would fall off. I'd get the head and the tail, and a, a leg and another leg would fall off. So all through the 16 weeks on the road, he worked with me every day in my dressing room. Wow. It was, it was something that teaches you to be strong, but I don't know why. Yeah. I knew I was strong. It just made me stronger, and I don't know why, because I've never had a role like that since. <laughs> I don't know what it made me stronger. Childbirth? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I know. Lapone there in that interview with Ernie Manus. Yet, despite her trouble in mastering the vocal demands of the show, Lapone's portrayal of Evita became for many the definitive one. She manages to rip through the score like a hurricane unleashed, with a searing white-hot intensity and power to her vocal performance that has never been equaled. Listening to the many clips available on YouTube, recorded live during the original Broadway run, one can but marvel at the apparent ease with which she commands the extraordinary demands of the score. For me, one of the most thrilling examples of this is her rendition of Rainbow High, taken from her final Broadway performance in Evita in 1981. Of Lepone's interpretation of Rainbow High, Ben Rimmelauer wrote in Playbill, What strikes me is her sheer veracity, growling out Evita's prima donna demands with imperious attitude and dark threatening power, and yet still embodying brightness and fun. When she bounces into the spirit of the returning Buenos Aires theme, she reminds us that fascism aside, her Ava is one of the great musical heroines, alongside Fanny Bryce, Dolly Levi and Sally Bowles. Patty's essence is one part diva monster and one part good time girl. As you'll hear in the following clip, Lepone takes this performance of Rainbow High at a rapid tempo, leaving the orchestra trailing in her wake. The effect is simply electrifying.
all Patty Lapone has to do is raise both her arms in a white spotlight and the audience goes nuts, noted Laurie Weiner in the Los Angeles Times. That moment, of course, signals Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, Lupone's signature number from Evita. Broadway musical stars often inspire a cult of personality, where the singer, the song, and the role all meld to create an intensity that is ether to an adoring audience. One such moment, undoubtedly, is Lapone's rendition of Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. I love you 
In 1980, while appearing in Evita, Lepone performed a solo cabaret act every Saturday evening at midnight for 27 consecutive weeks at Les Mouches, then a legendary nightclub in New York City's Chelsea district. Originally supposed to run for only four weeks, Lepone's appearances won rave reviews and drew such large crowds that the show kept being extended. It soon became the hottest ticket in town, and everybody who was anybody was there, from Andy Worrell to Stephen Sondheim. The show featured an unexpected and eclectic variety of song choices from Lepone that straddled a variety of styles, from pop to disco and even a little punk to Broadway, and included such popular hits as Patti Smith and Bruce Springsteen's Because of the Night and Bob Dylan's Mr. Tambourine Man. Here is Lepone in an interview with Anthony Tomasini, chief music critic of the New York Times, recorded in 2008. Well, you obviously learned how to sing technically, perfectly, and, uh, and beautifully. And boy, did you have stamina, which this recording proves if you understand how this came about. <laughs> Patti Lepone at La Mouche. When, in 1980, when she was appearing in Evita, for 27 consecutive Saturday nights, after two shows. One. one only one? Really? Only one, because the, the, we, the first Avers were not given. Elaine Pace, excuse me for interrupting, yes, but I have to, a lot of people think that I didn't, I chose not to play the matinees. I was never offered the matinees. Huh. Elaine couldn't do it in, Elaine Page um, uh, could not do it in London. So they decided from then on, the first Ava would only play the evening shows and they, and they made the alternate. So I did not. I only played six, ah. six shows. Well, still, I mean, 
Yeah. Evita. Right. Playing, playing, playing Eva in, in Evita is not exactly an easy night. No, you're and, right. Uh, and where most people would be going out, eating, having something to eat or drink or both or collapsing, Patti Lapone went to this cafe at midnight to sing a, a, an hour-long act show. And, that, and this is one of these things that, like the Collis recordings of you know, Lisbon Traviata and these legendary live performances that are, have been in recent years making their way and being released, this is one of these legendary things that has been around. Everybody's talked about it. Now it's here. It was pieced together from 27 se- separate... I understand. You should tell the story, maybe, that you had the, the tapes, the tape cassettes. Well, every, when we played this on the Saturday nights, Joe Lang was our, I'm sure his name was Joe Lang, was our sound guy. And every night he would hand David Lewis, the musical director, and me a tape of the show. And I went, oh, what am I going to do with this? I just sang it. <laughs> <laughs> but I saved a couple of them, and David saved all of them. And um, when it came time for this, David had a stack of them. And I believe that Joel Moss pulled from each of the tapes. You know, we're talking, they're 30 years old now, and um, was able to piece together this CD of this show. <laughs> it, it, it's an... It's an... <laughs> Why are you applauding? <laughs> they heard it as they were coming in, and some, pe- oh. some people were maybe actually there, but... Um... Yes, was anybody there? Yes, Tom Collins. Ah! Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it a fun night? <laughs> it was wild. But you sound, it sounds so fresh. You sound just raring to go. I mean, Who it's, knows? <laughs> it's you mean, I know from, from having done Evita. Well, okay, well, I can tell you that. Evita was, at that point in my career, the most difficult challenge in my life and in my career that I had had. And I faced it alone. And I, I had to figure it out. I wasn't about to fail or if I was going to fail, I had to know why I was failing. Um, and so it took a lot of energy and a lot of effort and a lot of tears and a lot of sweat to figure out how to play that part. And then when I got to New York, and we our reviews across, you know, in L.A. and San Francisco were terrible. Pretty much the, the theatrical community in, Ameri- I mean, in New York City did not want to see a, a fascist a Nazi supporter on the stage. And, and Hal had an extremely... A provocative and innovative uh, production, and the music was by an Englishman. So you know, <laughs> you know, um, American composers were being usurped. It, Hal Prince, this, you know, this, the king of Broadway, was putting on on this rather strange production, and it was about a Nazi or a fascist. And so our reviews were very, very cold. My applause used to dip after Mandy's in my curtain call. And there I am just bleeding from the vocal cords. And my applause used to dip. And I, of course, to survive, I'm going, it's because I'm so convincing in the part. (laughs) Someone came to me and said, Pete Sanders came to me and said, you should do a nightclub act. Because at the time, if any of you remember, there was a very vital nightclub scene in New York City, um, which has sadly disappeared. I thought, you've got to be crazy. I can barely sing this role. But then I thought about the applause dipping at the end of my curtain call. <laughs> Truly. And I thought, well, you know what? They don't know who I am. They just know I'm this blonde fascist uh-huh. tap dancer over here. And I want them to see <laughs> that I am 
this brown-eyed, brown-haired comedian. I left Juilliard as an actor. I ended up, you know, like, and so I went, you know what? I want them to see who I am. Uh -huh. And so I did it for that reason. Uh -huh. And the stamina comes from, I think, willpower. Uh -huh. I wasn't about to miss any Vita because that would be failure. And I was about to be joyful on Saturday nights at midnight. I was about to be claim Patty back. Uh -huh. Well, the reviews of the show, here are a couple uh, clips. This is the Village Voice. The night I saw her, she had a room full of sophisticates close to sexual hysteria. As she, <laughs> as she ran her repertoire, repertoire from crotch-clutching ballad to high-spirited rock. If Cabaret is going to return, it could begin with this act. I, mean, but, I don't know what to but, say. Uh, I mean, and it, is, it has that pizzazz and that vitality, but also somewhat like Not While I'm Around, the Sondheim songs beautiful but yet with a little edge to it i mean it's it's really it's very very it's fascinating thank thing. you after two years in evita lupone decided she had had enough she needed rest and new roles but her fame seemed to work against her and she had surprisingly few offers as she maintained in a new york times interview playing in evita had typecast her casting directors forget what you did in the past she noted they think I'm blonde and much older, so unless they need a blonde fascist dictator, I won't get a call. I did some of my best work after Evita, but it wasn't in the public eye, and it didn't command a lot of notice. Therefore, I was nothing, she told David Sachs of the New York Times magazine. Among her work from that period was a 1981 production of Shakespeare's As You Like It at the Guthrie Theatre in Minneapolis, in which she played the role of Rosalind. I got ridiculed in the press for leaving Evita and going to the Guthrie to do Shakespeare, and I thought, but that's what I did before doing Evita. I was going back to my roots, noted Lepone. A revival of the 1937 musical The Cradle Will Rock by Mark Blitzstein followed in 1983, and in 1984, Lepone appeared as Nancy in a revival of Lionel Bart's Oliver. In 1985, Lupone starred as Fantine in the original Western production of Les Miserables, based on the novel by Victor Hugo, with music by Claude-Michel Schoenberg and an English-language libretto by Herbert Kretzmer. Co-produced by the Royal Shakespeare Company and directed by Trevor Nunn and John Card, Les Miserables opened on the 8th of October 1985 at the Barbican Theatre in London. The show was a triumph and Lepone received the 1985 Olivier Award for Best Actress in a Musical, the first American ever to win an Olivier Award. Lepone, however, chose not to reprise the role on Broadway. I'm very possessive about my theatrical memories, she told the New York Times magazine. Two weeks after I opened at the Barbican in London, I knew I couldn't do the show in New York. I was having a theatrical dream come true. Here she is in an interview with Ernie Manus talking about her experiences in Les Miserables. Les Miserables. Mm -hmm. What disappointed me about it was so little of you in there. Oh, in the role of Fantine? Yes. It's a wonderful role. Mm -hmm. But I was expecting after the success of the Vita, we would see a big Patty role again. Why did you choose to take that role? Oh, it's incredible. Well, like I said, now, if I waited, I'd still be waiting for a role like Evita. There isn't a role like Evita. Yeah. There isn't. There was nobody like Evita. What are they going to, you know, there. Um, 
I was going to London to do the Cradle of Rock, and Cameron McIntosh, whom I had worked for in Oliver, saw my picture in an English newspaper, and they had could not cast Fantine. And so he came to my apartment and he played me two bars. He said, he said would you be interested? And I happen to love London. And he said, um, he played two, two to four bars. And I heard, this is the French production too. This was not even ours. And I went, is it? And the idea of working with the Royal Shakespeare Company, being the first American to work with the Royal Shakespeare Company, in the Royal Shakespeare Company's home, London home, the Barbican Theatre, to be in London for a year. But Seattle choose a part by the size. I don't even think I heard Fontaine's song. Oh, excuse me, I did hear Fontaine's song. It was the idea of that memory, that experience, working with Alan Armstrong and working with Roger Allen and working with RSC actors. And I went and had the time of my life and chose in the second week not to do it in New York. And I knew I was going to get asked to do it in New York. And I went to Cameron. I was in my barricade uniform. <laughs> and I went, to, it was, I went to the stage door and there was Cameron. I said, Cameron, I can't do this in New York. He said, I know the part's too small. I went, no. I said, it's, and he, I knew he wouldn't get it. I said, this is a perfect production. It was a perfect production. It was a perfect cast in the perfect environment in a perfect play. The only thing a stage actor has are their performances and the memory of them. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to compromise this event in my life. It was the hardest decision that I made. Um, I was offered the role. I said no. My husband and I are flying home from England and somebody tapped me on the shoulder as we're descending. And he said, we're going to miss you tonight. I'm Colin Wilkinson's agent. Les Mis is opening. And I burst into tears. And I cried. You know, I saw the reviews. I cried. I went, what did I do? What did I do? Then I saw John Caird. He said, let's go pick up, you know, Francis Raphael. I said, okay. I hadn't seen it. And we went, second acted it. And I went, that's why I turned it down. What I saw was a copy of the British cast. Yeah. It's what they do now. They don't let you, the new cat, they don't want to mess with a hit. They gave them a CD. You, you, you do, you imitate, your Tenardier has got to be like Alan Armstrong. You got to sound like that. You got, and so what I saw was a, a cast that was not unique and it would have been a step down. And that's when I went, you made the right decision. Because I still have the memory of the cast that I was a part of. Yeah. That's very important for my, I don't know what, my, I don't know what, my life, my, the honor in my life, the, the integrity in my, my, the choices that I make, I don't know. Because it's a cheap world. It's a cheap business. It's a cheap and vulgar business. Unless I make it different. Unless the, the performer makes it the, different. Let's listen now to Lepone's haunting version of I Dreamed a Dream from Les Miserables. In her voice and interpretation, one truly gets the sense that here is a woman who has given up all hope.
There was a time when men were kind When their voices were soft And their words inviting There was a time when love was blind And the world was a song And the song was exciting There was a time It all went wrong I dreamed a dream in time gone by When hope was high in life
Ironically, had Lupin agreed to appear in Les Miserables on Broadway, she would never have had the chance to appear in a now legendary revival of Cole Porter's Anything Goes, directed by Jerry Zachs at Lincoln Center in 1987. Lupone stole the show. Her portrayal of brassy nightclub singer Reno Sweeney was a tremendous success and earned her a Tony Award nomination. Forget about the Coliseum, the Louvre Museum, a melody from a symphony by Strauss, Patti Lupone is the top, was how Frank Rich opened his review in the New York Times. William A. Henry III declared in Time magazine, If Porter really were to lend approval, it would be chiefly for Patti Lupone. As nightclub belter Reno Sweeney, she rivals the role's originator Ethel Merman in volume and clarity of voice, and far outdoes her in intelligence and heart. Anything Goes came as a welcome change of pace for Lupone. In my last three shows, I've cried and died on stage, she commented in an interview for the New York Times in 1987. Evita, Oliver, Les Miserables. A little bit of tears and then a death scene. All my musicals have been these raging divas or these crying things. I used to be called Melancholy Baby at Juilliard because I could cry really easily. If they needed somebody who could emote, I got cast in the part. The last musical comedy I did was Robber Bridegroom in 1976. New York thinks I'm a tragedian. It's great to be doing comedy again. So let's go to your next blockbuster Broadway role, which sounds like it was a bit of a change of pace, namely Reno Sweeney well, and see, Anything Goes. Right. Now, if Reno Sweeney had been where Evita was, that is a different character. You fall in love with that woman. You fall in And the audience, my God, they... I would leave the theater with the audience because I was commuting to Connecticut. I started commuting back then. And they would, I, they'd be singing and dancing to the parking lot at Lincoln Center. And to see them weep from laughter, just it was unbelievable. Again, if that, I would play that role in a second again. Well, again, Evita was kind of unknown to American audiences. It had been done in London, but you were new. And it was the new role, the new character we were learning about, whereas yeah. Reno Sweeney had been done by Ethel Merman half a century earlier. Mm-hmm. Most people hadn't seen her, but they certainly knew she had done it. They'd heard her recordings and all that. So how did you then make it your own? Because you, you really were Reno Sweeney. How did you make that your own role? You know, I, I can't remember. Liz McCann said something to me, and I, I looked at her and went, I am? Um, it was something like, how dare I assume I can play this role after Ethel Merman? And I went, ooh, I didn't even think that. Because I didn't see Ethel's performance, so I have no idea what she did. Again, thank God I trained as an actor because the information I was given was the script, my leading man, my character man, Bill McCutcheon, God rest his soul, my director, my costumes, the set, the environment. And I just went for it. You know, I, I, I think that's the way actors work. Lupone there discussing Anything Goes with Howard Sherman of the American Theatre Wing in that interview recorded in 2006. As Reno Sweeney, Lupone not only got the chance to display her comic skills, to tap dance, tango and perform such immortal Cole Porter songs as I Get a Kick Out of You and You're the Top, she also confirmed why she's considered to have some of the best pipes in the business, especially when she gave it her all in the showstopper Blow Gabriel Blow. Her sassy, salty, belty as all hell take on Blow Gabriel Blow 
really exemplifies what Frank Rich was talking about in his Anything Goes New York Times review, noted Ben Rimmelauer in Playbill, when he said, Lips so insinuatingly protruded they could make the Pledge of Allegiance sound lewd. I never got tired of Patty's athletic, leather lungs domination of this song, noted Rimmelauer. Here then is Lapone singing Blow Gabriel Blow from Cole Porter's Anything Goes. Yeah. 
After leaving the cast of Anything Goes, Lupone moved to Los Angeles to pursue television work. In the fall of 1989, she joined the series Life Goes On, portraying the mother in a family that includes a teenage boy with Down syndrome. In 1993, Lupone was signed by Andrew Lloyd Webber to create the role of Norma Desmond in the original West End production of Sunset Boulevard and then to play the part on Broadway. Though anticipation ran high, with Lupone appearing in her first Lloyd Webber musical since a groundbreaking 1979 performance in Evita, reviews for both the star and the musical were mixed when the show opened on the 12th of July 1993 at the Adelphi Theatre in London's West End. Even so, Billy Wilder, the famed film director who directed the original film of Sunset Boulevard, which starred Gloria Swanson and on which the musical is based, was in attendance at the opening night performance in London. Of Lupone's performance, he exclaimed, She's a star from the moment she walks on stage. Variety magazine, too, noted that, Norma Desmond is an apt fit for Lupone, who meets the challenge thrillingly. She gives us the screen goddess as grotesque, at once seductive and suicidal, and her final descent down the staircase and into madness chills the audience in a way Lloyd Webber's closing crescendo can only approximate. Here is Lepone's wonderful account of With One Look from Sunset Boulevard, with music by Andrew Lloyd Webber and lyrics by Don Black and Christopher Hampton.
mind staying for good. I'll be back where I was born to be. With one look, I'll be me. While Lupone was headlining the show in London, a reworked version of the show had opened in Los Angeles starring Glenn Close as Norma Desmond. This new production was more favorably reviewed by critics, and Close received rave reviews for her performance. As a result, Lloyd Webber decided that Close, not Lupone, would open Sunset on Broadway. You know, there's always going to be some kind of stuff going on in a musical. That's just the nature of a musical. But it was a great company. We had a great time. It was the exterior information that was coming to me that was very painful. I mean, clearly when I didn't get the reviews Andrew wanted me to get, I was on the chopping block. But I didn't find that out until after Glenn Close opened in New York and Vincent Canby gave her this review against my bad review. Meantime, I'm getting standing ovations in in London. And there's nothing about me in the press in London because I show up every night. I'm turning in my book. Yeah, but Andrew wanted something else, and the way they got me out was the way they were going to get me out was to have me quit because of the in, the barrage of negative publicity. And my agents and the lawyers said, "Stay on stage." And I don't know if it was worth it because it was really painful. And you did month before I closed. I got a telephone call from my agent. I'm in the dressing room, getting ready for the show. I call my my agent. Called. He said, "Are you sitting down?" I said, "Yeah." And he said, "You've been fired. Glenn Close is replacing you in New York." And I went. And I got up and had batting practice in my dressing room with a, you know, a floor lamp and left. I, they could hear me crying and screaming. And the company came up and uh, company manager, I said, I've been fired. I said, I'm leaving. I'm going. Bye. I can't take this anymore. And if people say, what would you do if you saw Andrew again? I said, it's not what I would do. It's what my husband would do. Oh. Because whatever I had to absorb, I then took out on my husband when I came home. And that was like I went into therapy. I was on Prozac. It was like a it was like a long healing process because I had to absorb it, and I couldn't. There was no place I could release it because I had to perform every night. And um, that, but that company was extraordinary, and we had a great time. We had a great time. And that interview with Lapone, conducted by Alec Baldwin, was recorded for WNYC New York Public Radio in 2013. Though she had lost out on appearing as Norma Desmond on Broadway, Lupone admirably saw out her contract in London, continuing to thrill audiences night after night. My closing night, noted Lupone in an interview with Eddie Shapiro, was intense. It was brilliant. The audience wouldn't let me sing. I had to turn to the audience and acknowledge them twice before I could start to sing. It was a vindication. I'd like to play you now Lapone's rendition of As If We Never Said Goodbye, recorded during her final West End performance of Sunset Boulevard in 1994. It was obviously an emotional and heartfelt experience for Lapone, and you can hear the tears towards the end of the song, as well as her defiance in the face of the humiliation she suffered during the Sunset debacle. Nevertheless, the incredible support from the audience is equally audible with audience members standing on their chairs as they applauded her that evening. Here then is As If We Never Said Goodbye from Sunset Boulevard, as sung by Patti Lupone as part of her final performance as Norma Desmond in the original West End production of the musical.
In the end, Lepone received a settlement in excess of $1 million, a portion of which she famously used to build what she calls the Andrew Lloyd Webber Memorial Pool in her backyard. The ordeal, however, left its mark. Rejected and humiliated, self-doubt set in, and Lepone even questioned her future on the stage. In an interview with the New York Times in 1996, she stated, I've never had doubts about my talents and how I affect an audience. I've been taught to have doubts about directors and producers and critics. So maybe it's time to give up musicals. Maybe this is the way I have to go. I cannot begin to tell you, uh, my assistant and my husband literally scraped me up off the floor and sent me out of the stage or pulled me in off the ledge and brought me home. And I had a company that buoyed me. I mean, I, we talk about blood, talk about companies. I will never forget. I never forget the companies in England, basically, but I will never forget this company. We all went through it. Blood was shed. All this is in, in your suitcase now. You see, that's the other thing. Do these reasons, do these things happen so that you have a richer experience in your chosen profession? Do you take the pain and come out a richer human being? A rich, do you have a richer legend in your... I don't know. I don't know. I just, I know that I have to find the positive energy behind this because the negative would have destroyed me. It's even questionable. No, it's not. But getting back up on a stage I don't know what's going to happen the first night I have an audience. I don't know. I don't know whether I'm going to... I mean, they certainly... Did, I went out every night in, in, in Sunset, but did that sap me of every possible bit of, bit of strength I had? Or am I going to be buoyed by this company and this audience? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think I know the answer to that. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. It's, it's you know, the... It's all, it's us, it's us, it's us, it's only us. It's only a human being behind a character. It's only a person behind an image. It's still only flesh and blood. Sunset Boulevard left its mark in other ways as well. In her memoirs, Lepone revealed that she nearly lost her famous voice in the mid-90s after the vocally grueling Sunset Boulevard. I had a vocal cord operation and I couldn't talk for five months, she writes. I had to be trained to talk correctly and then sing correctly. She credits vocal coach Joan Larder with saving her voice and her career, and she came out of the ordeal sounding better than ever. I have no idea why, except that now I have technique, she says. Before, I was just willing my voice to sing. I'm continuing to learn to sing, learning new techniques. Aside from appearing in a City Centre Encores production of Pal Joey, Lupone spent most of 1995 out of the public eye, at home with her husband Matthew Johnston and son Joshua. The following year, in 1996, she was selected by producer Robert Whitehead to succeed his wife Zoe Caldwell in the Broadway production of Terence McNally's play Masterclass, based on the masterclasses given by Maria Callas at Juilliard. Peter Marks in the New York Times wrote at the time, In a strange way, the dispute over Sunset links Miss Lepone more closely with Callas, who was no stranger to disappointment. Like the opera star who died in 1977, Miss Lepone has a powerful, unconventional voice and an over-the-top emotional style. Like La Divina, 
She wears her heart on her costume sleeve, a persona that inspires devoted followers as well as parodists. And like the colors of Mr. McNally's play, Miss Lupone's bottom-line belief in her own talents only partly masks a deep vulnerability. It was during one of her legendary appearances at Les Mouches, attended by Stephen Sondheim, that Lupone famously declared, My dream, my fantasy, is to appear in one of Stephen's shows. If this happens, I'll retire. That dream came true for Lapone in 2000, when she made her debut with the New York Philharmonic as Mrs. Nellie Lovett in Sondheim's Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. She subsequently appeared at Chicago's Ravinia Festival in six Sondheim shows in six years. Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd, Desiree Armfelt in A Little Night Music, Fosca in Passion, Yvonne in Sunday in the Park with George, Cora Hoover Hooper in Anyone Can Whistle, and of course, Rose Hovick in Gypsy. And finally, in 2005, Lapone brought her Mrs. Lover to Broadway in John Doyle's innovative reimagining of the work, playing the tuba, and shaking off any preconceived ideas about the role and traces of Angela Lansbury's portrayal. Here is Lapone in conversation with Anthony Tomasini from the New York Times in an interview recorded in 2008. Speaking of Sondheim, on this um, r- wonderful recording, at one point you have a little riff where he was in the audience. <laughs> and you say, he's the master, he's the genius, I want to be in this man's musical. This was before he had been in a, in a musical in 1980. That's my dream. If that happens, I will retire. My goodness, you certainly made up for, because this Ravinia Festival is just outside of Chicago. It's actually an outdoor facility, wonderful facility. Oh, it's great. But you did Sweeney, Night Music, Passion, Sunday in the Park. Even anyone can whistle. Mm-hmm. And now the sort of Sondheim show Gypsy. So, um, uh, but you've certainly made it made up for, made up for, become yeah, like a, a... I'm thrilled to death. What is it about his work that... Well, first of all, he's deeply, deeply, deeply human. And, oh, I could cry. I mean, you just... <laughs> I, heard, I saw Roadshow last night, and there's, there's oh, songs did, yeah. in there that you just go... I mean, they're just... They, have, they take your breath away because there's, they're universal. They're universal. And as an actor and a singer, he's so difficult to achieve. So that's a challenge. That's a great challenge that, you know, sometimes I make it, sometimes I don't. But So you have the challenge of the music and the challenge of the lyrics, and then you have the ability to explore your own emotional state and be able to expand and embrace his. Uh-huh. And it's deep. It's deep and expansive. Uh-huh. I think. I could be wrong. Wait, we should put this on the other side because I use my right hand, whatever. <laughs> um, I mean, I could be wrong, but I just, there's something that I connect in that music that I... <sighs> yeah. I mean, um, as you talk, I'm thinking also that what you were saying before about the, your lyric-driven, that you start with that, and even though here's this genius composer, um, he is lyric-driven. I mean, I, I, that music is generated first by words. By the thought, By yeah. the thought, the words, and they come first. And I would think for, I mean, that, that's why uh, many people who have not been the greatest singers have been successful in those shows, even when they're hard, because the words, you know, they can make the word. they're acting with the voice in, 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 a, in mm-hmm. a way. And, but when you really have a voice, uh, like you do, wow. I mean, it's... Um, uh, Thank you. Well, it's, it's, it's an amazing challenge. 
Um, and, you know, I just, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm sure he would be very embarrassed by yeah. us talking about him. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's an incredible experience. And I'm so grateful to Wells for, for doing that. And that, it actually started in New York Film. Wells was the artistic administrator at the New York Film when we did Sweeney. That was your first? That was it. And then was Wells moved. 88? Uh, 2000, I think. And um, Wells moved to the Chicago Symphony, and we followed him. That was the complete opposite experience of the other Sweeney because this was the New York Philharmonic, right. a big orchestral Sweeney, as opposed to the chamber music Sweeney. Oh, that was pretty know, spectacular. That you did with John Doyle, yeah. Um, that was very spectacular. One of the great things about doing that was with the way the set was designed, we played around and inside of the orchestra, and to watch these brilliant musicians going... <laughs> And watching the action was incredible. Uh-huh. It was incredible. Let's listen now to The Worst Pies in London, as sung by Patti Lapone, and recorded live in concert in 2001 with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Rob Fisher. Watch your hurry, you gave me such a fright. I thought you was a ghost of a minute. Can't you sit, sit you down, sit? All I meant is that I haven't seen a customer for weeks. Did you come here for a pie, sir? Do forgive me if me head's a little vague. What is that? But you think we had the plague? From the way that people keep avoiding, now you're doubt. Have enough, I try, sir. But there's no one comes in even to inhale. Right you are, sir. Would you like a drop of ale? Mind you, I can hardly blame them. These are probably the worst boys in London. I know why nobody cares to take them. I should know I make them. But good, now the worst boys in London. Even that's polite, the worst boys in London. If you doubt it, take a bite. Is that just And the 
When Andrew Gantz asked Lepone during a 2010 interview in Playbill what the nicest comment is that Sondheim had ever given her, she answered, He said, You can be in my musicals any time. It was after a Ravinia performance, Lepone recalled. I cannot remember which one it was, but he said, Basically, I got his stamp of approval, and I thought, I've been waiting to hear that for my entire life. Two years later, in 2012, the Signature Theatre awarded Lupone with the Stephen Sondheim Award. In a statement at the time, Sondheim commented, There are few performers who can play both Mrs. Lovett and Fosca, Evita and Reno Sweeney, Nancy in Oliver and Cora Hoover Hooper in Anyone Can Whistle, and still create roles for David Mamet. In fact, there's only one. Versatility of such a high caliber is rare indeed, and therefore it couldn't be more appropriate that the recipient of this year's Signature Theatre Sondheim Award is going to the best tuba player on Broadway, Patti Lupone. Next, I'd like to play to you a live performance of Being Alive from Stephen Sondheim's company, recorded live in concert at the Westwood Playhouse in Los Angeles, California in 1993. In August 2006, Lupone took on the role of Mama Rose, or rather Rose Hovick, in the legendary Jules Stein, Stephen Sondheim, Arthur Lawrence musical Gypsy for the first time. Mama Rose, the 
the domineering stage mother of famous striptease artist Gypsy Rose Lee, is generally referred to as the King Lear of musical theatre. The role was originally written for Ethel Merman and has subsequently been played on Broadway by such heavyweights as Angela Lansbury, Tyne Daly and Bernadette Peters. It was a role everyone had been telling Lepone for years she was born to play. Lepone's assumption of the role at the Ravinia Festival in Chicago in 2006 was a triumph, a performance so powerful that discussions ensued to bring her portrayal to New York. Jack Firtel, the artistic director of New York City Center's Encores, saw the Ravinia production and was suitably impressed. He contacted Arthur Lawrence, who controlled the rights to the work, requesting that Lawrence himself direct a new, fully staged production of the show at City Center. Lawrence agreed, and in 2007 he directed Lupone and Gypsy for a 22 performance run at City Center. This production then transferred to Broadway, opening on March 27, 2008 at the St. James Theatre. As Charles Romain wrote in The Advocate, vocally, Lupone is perfect for the role. Where Bernadette Peters struggled with the Stein Sondheim score, Lepone plants her feet a little wider and steamrolls through each song with a brassy belt you just don't hear on Broadway these days, and the standing ovations from audiences and critics were among the loudest they'd ever been on the Great White Way. It therefore came as no surprise when Lepone won the Outer Critics Circle Award, the Drama League Award, Drama Desk Award, and Tony Award for her performances in Gypsy. Lupone's natural affinity for the role of Rose is particularly evident in Rose's Turn, the climax of Gypsy, a musical tour de force showstopper in which Mama Rose experiences a mental breakdown. Once, after hearing Lupone perform the number, Charles McNulty of the Los Angeles Times apparently whispered to his companion that they had just witnessed something historic. At long last I understood the meaning of the theatre expression knock him dead, he confessed. Lepone had clobbered us into awed submission. Eric Hargensen in Backstage commented how Raging and desperately needy, scary and heartbreaking, Lupone's rose broke apart before our eyes in Rose's turn in what may be the greatest musical theatre moment I've ever experienced. Here then is the dramatic Rose's Turn from Gypsy, with music by Jules Stein and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. Here she is, boys! Here she is, world! Here's Rose! <laughs> Curtain up! Hello, everybody! My name's Rose! 
old stone. Hold your hats and hallelujah, mama's gonna show it to you. Ready or not, here comes mama! Mama's talking loud, mama's doing fine. Mama's moving on, Mama's all alone Mama doesn't care, Mama's let loose Mama's got the stuff, Mama's let go Mama, Mama Mama's got the stuff, Mama's got to move Mama's got to go Mama, Mama Mama's got to let go Love and what does it get you? What does it get you? One quick look as each of them leaves you. All your life and what does it get you? Thanks a lot and out with the garbage. They take bows and you're ground zero. In 2010, Lepone created the role of Lucia in the original Broadway production of David Yazbek's Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, based on the 1988 film by Pedro Almodovar. The show closed after 23 previews and 69 regular performances, but Lepone was praised for her portrayal of Lucia and she was nominated for a Tony Award, Drama Desk Award and an Outer Critics Circle Award. The following year, in 2011, Lupone took on the role of the caustic Joanne in a four-night limited engagement concert production of Stephen Sondheim's company with the New York Philharmonic. A DVD of the concert exists, highly recommended, if only for Lupone's wonderful take on The Ladies Who Lunch. Aside from her appearances in staged musicals, 
Lupone has been a regular on the concert and cabaret stage throughout her career, performing her solo shows, Matters of the Heart, Coulda Woulda Shoulda, The Lady with the Torch, and most recently, Faraway Places. In his review of Faraway Places, Stephen Holden of the New York Times wrote, Nowadays, Miss Lupone generates more raw excitement than any other performer on the Broadway and cabaret axis, with the possible exception of Liza Minnelli. And her brilliant show, conceived and directed by her longtime collaborator, Scott Whitman, deserves many lives, perhaps even in a Broadway run in an expanded edition. It certifies Miss Lepone's place in the lineage of quirky international chanteuses like Lotte Lenya, Marlene Dietrich and Edith Piaf, who, like Miss Lepone, conquered show business with forceful, outsized personalities while playing by their own musical rules. Nothing has ever come easy for me, Patty Lepone wrote about the ups and downs of her long career. Pigeonholed by some critics, who refused to accept her as both a musical and a dramatic force, she once confessed, I'm not a critic's darling. It's broken my heart. I don't understand what makes a critic's darling. It's never easy to accept that one is not accepted, and I am not accepted. And you know, I was born to be on the stage, and that is where the major pushback is. And while Lupone is often perceived to be difficult, temperamental, a diva, her behavior really stems from a peerless dedication to her art and to the theater. She isn't difficult, she's just a perfectionist, on and off the stage, with an unyielding respect for the material she performs and for ensuring that the audience leaves each performance entertained, uplifted and transported. I have a reputation for being difficult, she noted, which has plagued me since Evita, and it really hurts. I don't suffer fools, that's for sure. I have a very high standard. I expect everybody around me to work equally as hard because people pay a lot of money for tickets. They demand the best that we have. When Eddie Shapiro interviewed Lupone for his book, There's Nothing Like a Dame, he asked Lupone whether she ever thinks about her place in the Pantheon. Lupone replied, No, I don't. When you're not a big fan of yourself, you don't think in that way. I think I'm a really good person, a really good mother, a good wife, a good housekeeper. I'm loyal, I'm trustworthy, I'm generous, I have a big heart. I took the time and sweated the blood to train for an extremely noble craft, and I'm proud of that. I don't know half of what I should know. It's all smoke and mirrors. David Mamet says, Dare to live in the area where you do not know what's going on. That's my mantra. I am the scariest cat you've ever met, except on stage. There, it's the safest place I've ever been. I'll ever be on stage. Well, that brings us to the end of this final edition of Great Interpreters Goes Broadway. I trust that you've enjoyed our journey along the Great White Way over the course of the last eight weeks together as we pay tribute to the great women of Broadway. Before I say goodbye, a reminder that you can listen again to tonight's show or any of the previous shows in the series on my website On and Off the Record, www.onandofftherecord.com. That web address again, www.onandofftherecord.com. You can also subscribe to or download a podcast of the show from iTunes. 
And if you'd like to get in touch, please don't hesitate to contact me via email at adrian at onandofftherecord.com or via the On and Off The Record Facebook page. I would love to hear from you. Playing us out this evening is Patti LuPone singing Don't Like Goodbyes from the 1954 Broadway musical House of Flowers, written by Harold Arlen and Truman Capote. For me, Adrian Fuchs, have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for listening. Till next time, good night. It's not easy, it's never been easy To let anyone see the sentimental side of me Hard as I try, I can't help but show It's my heart you're taking when you go Don't like goodbyes Tears or sighs I'm not too good At leaving time I got no taste For grieving time No, no Not me You've been my near one my dear ones I never thought that I would find another love a different kind but it came to be well if you think I'm telling you lies go try your luck and look into his eyes But remember, you must Remember he's mine And my world overhead Has a clear new shine